Hello everybody and welcome to another episode. In this episode we're going to talk about Linux security. It's quite a broad topic but we're going to talk about Linux desktop security in general and in Linux server security in general. I'm Mark Clark, I'm from South Africa, I live in Johannesburg and I work for an open source solutions company um, in, in Johannesburg. I'm joined by my co-host Darlene Parker. Hi Darlene, how are you today? I'm great Mark, how are you today? Alright, thanks. Alright. So, um, just to refresh people's memory, my name is Darlene, and I uh, am in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I worked for I work for a Linux-based company that provides solutions around the world. And uh, also today, we're joined by uh, another guest, uh, Mohammed Ayed, and he is located in Libya, and he's also a Linux expert. And I'm sure he has lots to share with us today about Linux security. Hello, Mohammed. How are you? Hello, Mark. Hello, Darin. I'm fine, thank you. Um, first of all, I'll introduce myself. I'm Mohamed Ayaz from Libyan Spider Network. Uh, Libyan Spider Network is a uh, web hosting company based on Libya. I'm working as a Linux server administrator, and uh, I dedicate most of my time to Linux in general. So first off, let's let's talk about um, uh, Linux desktop security. Um, I think as more and more people start using Linux on their desktops, probably going to get more and more reports of uh, security breaches on the Linux desktop. You know, I think that's one of the inevitable things that's going to that's going to happen. And, you know, if you look at your standard Linux distributions when you install them by default, they don't have a whole lot of ports open listing, you know, unprotected ports listing for incoming traffic on the internet. Um, but yeah, but there's still vectors of attack that are, that are there. Um, Darlene, what do you think about Linux desktop security? I know you work quite a bit with that. Well, I think that the only truly secure um, machine <laughs> that you have is a standalone machine that's not connected to the internet at all. So whether you're running Windows, Linux, VSD, whatever, there, you, I think you still have to be aware that there are some some holes that you know we do promote that Linux is that much more secure. But again, like you talked about, some of the services that are running are they always necessary? Because like I did a, an install of uh, Fedora 10, and then I just made a you know a text document of all the services that we're running and some of them are geared for when you're on a network um, you know on a LAN and some of those aren't so those aren't necessary if you're a standalone desktop user maybe in your home or whatever so I think people just need to be aware it's some, similar to when you run MS config on a Windows machine there's lots of services that are running that uh, don't necessarily need to be there and so I think that's the first step is to be aware um, you know, just to spend a little time on your system and become aware of it. What do you guys think? Yeah, especially for the user move it uh, to Linux. Mm -hmm. um, from Windows to Linux, they think about uh, Linux is just okay. They they don't pay any attention for security, so they ignore it and they don't care about the surfaces and the firewall and stuff like this. So. Mm -hmm. uh, there should be more attention if they move to Linux. So they heard about Linux security and Linux is more secure. More secure doesn't mean that it's secure. It's not right. completely secure. It still have the vulnerabilities. If you have a surfaces and these surfaces they have vulnerability to, to to be more secure with the Linux box and we have to update it uh, frequently with the latest uh, update for the kernel for the surface and doing some hardening for surface to be more, more secure. What do you think? Yeah, I believe that's true, that you should harden your system up because, you know, we talk about is Linux, you know, secure by default or by design? I think by design that it is it is secure, more secure than what we're used to with other operating systems, but I would not necessarily agree that it's secure by default. What do you think, Mark? 
Yeah, look, I think, you know, the design part of Linux, its, it's architecture is much more inherently secure than, um, you know, than, let's say, Windows came from. Look at Windows came from, was designed for a single user environment, and to this day, even though they claim to have rewritten the code completely, it has that, you know, that heritage. Whereas Linux was written much earlier, um, and it was built for a multi-user environment. So it has all that stuff built in. Um, so I think it is more more secure by design. But um, as you say, you know, a lot of the stuff is what, what's installed and what's running um, the app, in terms of applications rather than the operating system itself. And today there's much is a bit of a blurring of the lines. What's an application? What's operating system? Um, you know, with, with Windows you get Internet Explorer bundled and all of that. Because if you look at most of these hacking contests that they have. Um, you know, and the people that win them, the, the vector of attack is always the browser, and they break into the system via the browser. So, you know, like Firefox, for example, you know, if they hack into Firefox, then who's responsible for that? Because that will be a vulnerability on Windows or on Linux. So it's, it's, it's difficult. I think in the desktop arena, you know, you're always going to have security breaches. It's much harder to lock things down because you're basically relying on people, um, you know, what they're installing, um, you know, what sites they're going to, how savvy they are in terms of, you know, like any con artist. Uh, if, if some people will be con by con art, other people will be able to detect that it's a con and, you know, not fall for it. So it's, 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 it's quite difficult on the, on the user desktop side. And I think as we see more people using Linux on the desktop side, we'll definitely get more reports of, of security breaches. You know, it's <coughs> like the, the I Love You virus that was sent around, in a, when was it, in about 2000 or something like that. I mean, that wasn't anything clever. What was clever, there was a social engineering aspect of it. You know, somebody gets an email from some, for one of their friends because they're in their address book, and it says, I love you. And they think, gee, what's going mm -hmm. on Yeah, They click on the attachment, and it was just a basic BB script, you know, which anybody could write, anybody could do. So, you know, it's that aspect that nothing's really going to catch that, um, you know, if, if you're smart enough with, with the social engineering aspect of it. So, yeah. Yeah, and like you talked about before, Mark, is that when people just click on random pop-ups on their desktop, whether they're running Linux, Windows, Apple, or Mac, or whatever, it still um, comes down to common sense, right? If you don't know what that pop-up's about, pop about, or you didn't go... This is what advice I give people, especially regarding pop-ups and stuff. If you don't go looking for it, and it comes to you randomly, ignore it. Yeah. You know? yeah. As as we started our recording by talking about desktop security for Linux desktop security, it's mean uh, Linux become more more popular operating. So uh, mm -hmm. if we if we start searching about the malware that affects uh, Linux, as you say, darling, Linux is, uh, became more popular. So mm -hmm. I think that the hackers they will start targeting Linux machine mm -hmm. before it's not that, that popular. And uh, most of the Linux user before is geek and and these geek things, Linux popular inside their team. Right. They yeah. are geek thing. Mm -hmm. They are meeting together and they're popular. Okay, it's popular in your area and with your friends. All of your friends are geek. But now it's more popular for all users. Mm -hmm. But I think it will be more targeted with the hackers. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, look, I think it will definitely be harder for, for hackers to, to break into, into Linux and the Windows machines. You know, um, it, it really, it's... Because what will happen is, you see, at least with Linux... Uh, you know, if somebody does break in and the person's using logged in as a normal user, I um, mean, you know, I think that's where Ubuntu's got it right in terms of forcing people to use sudo to get root access rather than, you know, logging in as root, is that the person will be able to hack in and just destroy the, you know, the user's home directory or hack into that. Um, you know, so us Linux guys will claim, well, that's great because the system's secure, it's unhacked. You know, but from a user point of view, if they lost all of their, I mean, they don't really care about the binaries and the operating system and all of that. You know, they care about their data. 
<laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So even though we say, well, it's secure, then it's, you know, if it was in a multi-user system, let's say it's one user account gets hacked, they can only really destroy that user's directory. But in today's world, I mean, you have, you know, computers dedicated to one person. So, for example, on your laptop, you don't have multiple users normally running on it. Um, so, to all intents and purposes, if the home directory gets hacked, you know, the, the machine's hacked and it's of no use to the, um, you know, to the, to, the, to the user of that machine. So, I do think it's, you know, it's one of those things which is going to become more and more of an issue. You know, we've got to be careful of our, the success of our own, um, what would you call it, uh, marketing, as it were. Because everybody mm-hmm. automatically is, oh, you know, I can just, you know, it's almost like I'm invincible if I'm running Linux. Um, and then, of course, that that has its own problems in terms of when things do go wrong. And people think, but I thought I was safe. Yeah, but I think I think the advantage to Linux, though, is if there are some issues, the response time of the Linux community is much faster than if you were a proprietary software developer, software provider. Like they sometimes you can take three, four, you know, six weeks to, to eat. well, that's probably even a small one. Because I was actually just reading that while I was getting ready for today, um, Adobe Reader has issues that it even uh, compromises Linux desktops, and I actually sent that to our to our. Um, to our uh, development team because we we've got the latest it's the the newest reader 9.1 uh, mm-hmm. 8.1 and 7.1 that you actually have to turn off the JavaScript and it says in their in their blog release here on their update that yes it can affect your Linux machines so who would know yeah you know yeah and that uh, come come in that way right but that's proprietary software and their response their first response was back in April they posted this. That there was a um, a potential reader issue, and they're still trying to deal with it. So, like I said, the community, I think the Linux community is much faster to respond to these kind of threats than uh, than a proprietary software company. But I mean, you know, one thing as well that's also a potential solution to all of these things. I mean, it also sort of touches a bit on the server side because you can use these solutions on the server side as well. Well, things like security enhanced Linux or SE Linux, and the new thing from uh, you know App Armor from Novell. Um, now those are different solutions to to the problem because basically the, the stance that they take is you never know whether this app's going to be secure or not or what vector of attack's going to come through it. So you kind of wrap the application, as it were, until it, this application can only do X, Y, and Z. It could only access this directory or access these ports, that kind of thing. So even if the, it does get hacked, it's limited what can happen. And I think maybe that's a potential solution in future, but I just have to make it a lot easier for your average user to use. Because I know most people just switch off SE Linux, <laughs> you know, when, mm-hmm, when they install mm-hmm. their system. It's just too complicated to manage. Yeah. So I just have a like a final thought that I'd like to share about desktop security, and that is, you know, maybe having a standard that's just like IP tables with policies that are set so nothing gets in and some normal services can get out. Have any of you, have either of you configured that, IP tables or anything like that on your side? I tend to use it more on the server side than my desktop, you know, and that, I think that's the point. Yeah. And IPTable is quite hardcore for your average user <laughs> yeah, yeah. to set up. I yeah. know there's a whole lot of GUI tools these days, but still, you know, if your average user says, do you want to block port 80 or, you know, they don't even know what you're talking about, you know, if you say, even if you say, do you want to block web traffic, they don't really understand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's a it's a difficult, you know, scenario. And I think also... But we're straddling here. But we're straddling here. We also we're talking to just ordinary users, but we're also talking to IT administrators who, you know, will be taking care of desktops, right? Because as they yeah. become more popular. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I tell you what, I mean, like, I know a mom machine, like, I do development work. So you install all kinds of services, you try out different things and that, you know, I don't necessarily uninstall them and you take your laptop over, you know, to another network somewhere, you plug it in and you just, so it's not necessarily also, you know, it's also suppose what you could call it, people who aren't diligent, <laughs> maybe like, yeah. you know, and you leave these ports mm-hmm. open or you've got to share, you'll quickly want to transfer a file to another machine in your home network, so you, you know, you just make the share public and that's okay when you're at home. You know, then you take mm-hmm. your machine and you dump it on some public network or especially these Wi-Fi hotspots, you know, and next minute your machine's mm-hmm. like wide open. So it is, it is something which also, you know, you've got to take into account the human factor, I think, as well. Using firewall IP tables is actually, darling, these days is more easier than before. As we see a lot of graphic interface on board, we can find a lot of graphic interface using IB built surfaces, like I think uh, Firewall Starter or something like this, and uh, we point to Firewall, and yeah, this, this graphic interface make IB tables uh, easy to use, easy to configure, not just like before, it's not easy even for the administrator, especially if you are trying to, to configure uh, your server starting from uh, the rules deny all, and you have to start uh, open only required uh, surfaces. Right. So yeah, yeah these a... days popularity popularity for Linux has come from more easy to more friendly. That's why it's became popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, especially with the event of the GUI for it. Right. <laughs> Just one comment I also want to make uh, before we move on to uh, to the server side of things as well is you know one thing I do think which is a bit of a limitation of the current design structure of Linux you know is this whole group you know you can only really define access to a file or a resource by owner group and then other um, you know so you can't have these complex group structures which is quite you know somehow make it difficult to manage now I know they do have ACLs in Linux these days but you don't find it widely used. Um, you know, I think we need to also potentially, as we start u- using Linux more and more, you know, how to say, okay, you know, Joe is part of the accounts group that can have access to these files. He's also part of this group um, that that can have, you know, I don't know, a read-write access to another set of files, and you can give both groups, you know, different rights to different to different files rather than just a single group that you can assign to it. But in the past, you have to go add Joe to all these different groups, and it's a bit, it's a bit of a difficult task. So I think, yeah, you know, this ACL thing, I know it's been in Linux for a while now, but it's not sort of in widespread use, because uh, you need to use extended attributes yeah, in the file this, system. In this case, I think you should be using the security-enhanced Linux, which is have, which have a, a more advanced permissions and a more advanced uh, access list for user. But uh, security-enhanced Linux, we will return to, it's not easy to configure, especially for normal user, if we're talking about a normal user, and mm-hmm. we're talking about um, a multi-user multi, multi, multi user machine, if you want to, 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 to put more security uh, level in that machine. So you have to configure security-enhanced Linux to, to avoid this and giving more uh, advanced uh, permission and access this to control, take over control uh, the user. So what do you think about this? We have to install antiviruses for our Linux box or maybe Mac box. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't tell them to put antivirus on. I just tell them to stop all the unnecessary services that get started when they do a default install. So on the server and side I, I think you do need to run antivirus for the sole purpose, especially if you've got like a Samba share. Um, 
because you know everybody's storing their files there, and then obviously even though Linux is invulnerable to the Windows viruses, other Windows users can access those files and 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 get attacked. But I have yet yeah, to yeah, find yeah. A, find a decent antivirus package that can run on a Samba share and do like on access scanning and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know whether you've got any there, Mohammed or Darlene. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you actually. I agree with you about requires in case, as we know that these days uh, we have a hybrid network. Mm. Some machines Windows and some machines Linux running the same network and they can share resources. So I don't want to my uh, to my workstation to be as distribution point for viruses to Linux user to Windows user actually. So as you say that we maybe we need this antiviruses to protect actually Linux Windows user from being attacked or being infected from my workstation Linux workstation. Actually, we are partner for Kaspersky, so we have this. Kaspersky have an engine for Samba server to antivirus for Samba server. Mm-hmm. I, I tried once uh, one time and uh, it's it's nice. It's using the same database to use it with the workstation, so it's it will be mm, effective with your uh, Linux machine. Yeah. Okay. So we we tried. What was it? The the, the guys for well, the Windows guys applied us. They went and bought the license. They didn't consult us on it, and they bought that AVG license. But it was a real schlep. You had to recompile the kernel and add in this module, and then you know it was like it was like a major effort just to get yeah. to run this this antivirus thing, which meant that you know you, all future upgrades now it was just a pain if you if you upgraded your kernel it means you know antivirus would stop working and all of that. So I don't know whether is it the it's, same. It's the same. Yeah. So that's what yeah, that it's the, the same. It's not easy to configure. Yeah, they're just saying it's. I think there's some space here that maybe the, the Linux community needs to sort of. Look at it a bit and make it easier to integrate these antivirus, even if it's just Clam AV, you know, um, into the whole like on access scanning capabilities of Samba. Um, I'm surprised it actually yeah. hasn't it hasn't happened in the past because relying on you know if you rely on the Windows client machines to be running the latest antivirus that never really works. There's always somebody who is turned off updates or something like that, um, you know. And then all you need is one of those guys, and it happens at clients. Yeah, quite often where just one person can infect the whole Samba share, you know? Yeah, actually most of the vendors considering, oh, we will make a product for Linux users, so most of Linux users are provisional, so we don't have to make interface, just only with commands, uh, blah, blah, so yeah. that's why it's not easy to install. Uh, even Casper's, uh. it's not easy to, to do. They don't have a actual interface with a graphical interface for user, normal user to running Kaspersky under Linux. And I don't know through the architecture Samba, I'm not a Samba developer or even look at the code at all. But you know, they could provide some sort of API hooks into like Win files or Red to be able to make it easier to run that antivirus. Because typically what you have to have is, is like these modules which like are notify which sort of let you know, you know, that, that call it when when the file changes and then it calls the antivirus and all of that. So you would think it would be easier to you know, there would be easy Better hooks uh, available, especially on the Samba side. Um, since it's used, I mean, that's what it's designed for: it's integration to Windows networks. That there'll be more ability to do sort of server-side um, scanning of files. Okay, so I think we can maybe just talk a little bit about the server side of things. Like, I think it's a different uh, different aspect completely than the, the desktop side, because you obviously you rely on the fact that you've got a server administrator who knows a bit more about what's going on than your average user. Plus, you're also not running a whole bunch of like 
things like you know web browsers and email clients on the server. So it eliminates a whole bunch of possibilities there in terms of virus attack vectors. But um, of course, it opens up a whole bunch of of other vectors for attack, like misconfigured servers and that kind of stuff. Now, Mohammed, I know you've got a lot of a lot of experience in this area because you run qu- uh, quite a large hosting um, provider there in Libya. We we are a hosting company and we are facing a lot of hack at, hacking attempting from our server. So after we doing some research and uh, following the guideline for security, we find we found uh, Apache is not secure by default. We don't. Talk, we, we, I'm not talking about the service itself, the vulnerabilities for the Apache, but uh, it's not secure if you don't using the third party modules or you you have to make a hardening for Apache to work more secure. What, what kind of attacks uh, uh, are you yeah. are you seeing manifesting there, in terms of the Apache server in particular? Yeah, users they can uh, running script from one account to other, jumping to from account to another account, and they can using running some commands from Apache because by default Apache using uh, uh, nobody user by default, so mm-hmm. nobody user you can follow with nobody user. Yeah. Who's doing that action? If you're trying to tracking the some action happened, mm-hmm. so we have to doing a lot of work with Apache to do to make it more secure. Well, I mean, if I look at, we also do some web hosting on our side. I mean, most of the attacks that we get come from poorly implemented um, sites that, that we host. So it's not it's not a direct attack on Apache as such. You know, it'll be like a cross-site scripting attack because the guy or a SQL injection attack because they haven't escaped the SQL properly within their application code. But it's not necessarily a, from from the text that we kind of see. Um, it's not necessarily a um, you know a, a exploit in, in, in Apache itself. Um, you know, so it tends to be around that. I mean, you can do hardened PHP and those good things, but then you end up, you know, also there's a bit of a trade-off because then the system becomes more and more difficult to actually to actually use. So yeah, I'm just interested more in finding out the, the kind of attacks that are being directed. You know, you guys are seeing on your servers because to be honest, most of ours are just spammers. You know, trying to Basically, send automated bots to just add this uh, spam comments to sites endlessly, that kind of stuff. Yeah, as I mentioned, that uh, I'm not, I was talking about it's okay, Apache is as a service itself, uh, it have uh, vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, even the latest version for Apache, they still pay, they have a vulnerability and they didn't fix it yet. Exactly. Okay, but. Uh, the, the script kidding. We are talking about script kidding. We're not talking about that. Uh, mm-hmm. The professional hacker they will use yeah. Apache itself to hack the server. Okay. So some most of the script kidding using the way that Apache is running, like running nobody user mm-hmm. to running maybe PHP shell or something like this in your server, and they start trying to having a backdoor in the server and get that. Uh, giving a rootkit, they're trying to get access to the server, and also they're try- is jumping from the ser- uh, from account to account with the same server to trying to hack some pages and get the database and stuff like this. Yeah. But it's not uh, this is not vulnerability in uh, Apache actually. It's like the way that the default configuration for Apache. We're using third-party modules with the, like mod security. It's like a web file wall. You have. To, any web server that doesn't have most security is open for public, so they, any user can do anything for the server. Uh, for the uh, for the nobody users actually, if they uh, using this the default user for Apache, and also using uh, super user PHP modules mm-hmm. to to protect uh, 
the user from running a script under another user account. So these tools really is very helpful and can protect your server and can save uh, a lot from attack. Okay, so what you're recommending is people look at running um, mod security and, and um, SUPHP to kind of... Yes, yeah, kind of thing. Okay, and in terms of your, I mean, for us in our log files, we just basically run like a log watcher on top over the files, looking for any critical messages and get emailed to us sort of on a daily basis. Uh, do you have any early warning detection systems that you use uh, to review your log files and automate yeah, that process? A, yeah, also we're using third-party tools like. Uh, Com it's com from Convict Server, they they providing free tools for firewall. Can it's, it can be integrated with the uh, mode security and can be integrated with another surfaces to warn you with the uh, abnormal action or maybe some uh, some attacks come to the server. So using this uh, Convict Server that third party firewall. The professional hacker, they will use yeah. Apache itself to hack the server. Yeah. Okay. So some, most of the script kid using the way the Apache is running, like running nobody user, mm -hmm. to running maybe PHP shell or something like this in your server, and they start trying to having a backdoor in the server and get the, uh, giving a rootkit. They're trying to get access to the server, and also they're trying jumping from the ser uh, from account to account the same server to trying to hack some pages and get the database and stuff like this yeah. but it's not this is not vulnerability in uh, Apache actually it's like the way that the default configuration for Apache this is only the default configuration uh, okay actually to um, we're using third party modules with the, like mod security it's like a web file wall you have to, any web server that doesn't have most security is open for public, so they, any user can do anything for the server, uh, for the uh, for the nobody users actually if they uh, using this the default user for Apache, and also using uh, super user PHP modules to to protect uh, the user from running a script under another user account. So these tools really is very helpful and can protect your server and can save uh, a lot. Of from attack. Yeah. Okay. So what you're recommending is people look at running um, mod security and, and um, SUPHP to kind of. SUPHP. Yes. SUPHP. Exactly. Yeah. kind of thing. Okay. And in terms of your, I mean, for us in our log files, we just basically run like a log watcher on top over the files, looking for any critical messages and get emailed to us sort of on a daily basis. Uh, do you have any? Early warning detection systems that you use. Yeah, also using third-party tools like uh, com it's com from Convict Server. They they providing free tools for firewall. Can it's, it can be integrated with uh, mode security and can be integrated with another surfaces to warn you with the abnormal action or maybe some uh, some attacks come to the server. So. Using this uh, complex server that third-party firewall. For us, the main the main concern there is that it tends to use a lot of bandwidth. I mean, sometimes you can have like, you know, 20 to 30 percent of your bandwidth can be some guys just trying to post endless comments onto a forum site somewhere. Um, you know, so what we do is we use like fail to ban um, for that kind of stuff, and for obviously attempts to hack your SSH port, which you have open for administration purposes. Now, on our side, we we tend to run a, run those things. The fail to ban is quite good in terms of 
at least saving your bandwidth and you know also um, preventing dictionary attacks and that kind of stuff. So we sort of have a different uh, what's it called a different concern on our side um, at that. But I was having a look at mod security. Hopefully it stabilizes when we start introducing it into the into the official repositories and that. Then I think I'll definitely use it. Like you know the, the approach also that that mod security seems to be taken is very similar to to App Armor and SE Linux that we talked about earlier. I don't know whether you've have any experience with. Um, with SE Linux, Darlene, or Mohammed? Actually, I have uh, a bad experience with uh, uh, SE Linux. I, I configured one time my machine, so I faced a lot of problems, so I have to read the manual very carefully, especially the security hands Linux, and uh, take it in my in the consideration uh, every time when I install a new service, when I try to install a new application, because the security enhanced Linux have a, a, a advanced uh, X control and uh, advanced uh, and, and change a lot of the, uh, kernel behavior. So once we install security enhanced Linux, we have to take it in our consideration. We will face a lot of problem in the future, especially when trying to add a new service, add a new tools, add a new application to our machine. Yeah, I mean, that's also been marked with SE Linux. I mean, I've been reading articles recently. Apparently, they made it a lot easier to use now. Um, I don't know how true that is, but, you know, I think uh, AppArmor is giving them a bit of, you know, making them sort of be a kind of bit more competitive. But I haven't used AppArmor myself. And also, read, you know, the, the marketing hub is that AppArmor is really easy to use. But, uh, you know, I think uh, what I understand app problem is that you basically have to download pre-configured profiles. So if you're downloading a pre-configured profile, and you can choose what applications you, like, you want to sort of protect. So it seems to me, and I could be completely wrong here, that SE Linux kind of everything, you know, once you've got it installed, everything must be configured to run with SE Linux. But it looks like with app armor, you know, you say, look, I want you to protect this application. Otherwise, all other applications run well, as under normal security kind of, um, what would you call it, op mode. So, you know, like they say you've got yeah, a... That's, yeah. so that sounds great. Yeah, yeah that sounds great. Because then you can just sort of wrap your Apache... Cause they've got, like, profiles for MySQL and Apache, so I want to, like, wrap Apache, I want to wrap MySQL. You know, and that's all ones you really, supposed care about, you know, more. you don't really care about wrapping, um, you know, some other some other sort of services and stuff which you don't really use that much or which aren't exposed to the Internet, you know? So, yeah, so I'm probably going to give... App Armor and Security Enhanced Linux a bit more of a, um, you know, give them some more attention and try them again. But yeah, but I think those are sort of looks like the, the you know, the, the next generation of attempts on security on the server side. Sometimes also security issues are actually design flaws in the architecture of the service itself. Um, so, you know, no matter how sort of careful you are in setting up your machine, you're going to be exposed to them. I mean, a classic example of that was a DNS poisoning um, attack. Uh, or vulnerability that was exposed last year. I mean, all the vendors had to rush to patch their DNS servers. Um, Mohammed, did you have any experience with that? Yeah, well, I, had, uh, I remember that when uh, I heard the first time about this DNS poisoning, uh, we, 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 we inform our ISP to, to upgrade their DNS server because when we check their uh, DNS server, we found that it's vulnerable to DNS poisoning. But it was just sort of a, a vulnerability that was inherent in the architecture, the way DNS works. Um, so you know, even if your DNS was written really secure, it was it was basically in this foundations how it worked. So yeah, so yeah. you've got to be careful about those those kinds. Of That's why it's also important to always patch your machines and make sure they they're running the latest um, you know security patches from your distribution. What I remember from the vulnerability, the way it works is that you know when you send out a DNS 
respond, uh, request. So you want to look up firstnationalbank.coza and it goes out to the DNS server. It says I request to a DNS server. But your machine will respond to whatever, whoever, you know, whichever machine responds first. So it doesn't look to see, okay, I sent this request to server, you know, ABC, um, and the response came from server XYZ. So what the vulnerability would do, as far as I understood it, was that it would just sort of almost spam sending out response addresses for, like, let's say, like, FNB is a big bank in South Africa. So it will just sort of continually spew out responses for FNB, but mapping it to the incorrect IP address. And it will just hopefully hit a machine that would, would make this request. So if your DNS server is doing, like, a recursive lookup, um, you could actually poison the cache of the DNS server because it will just accept whatever response it got. They wouldn't check it. Um, and so thereby, you know, you might think, well, that seems like really, you know, like a, a sort of gunshot approach to it. But if you took like a popular site like Facebook or something like that, you know, and you just kept on swing out, sooner or later you'd get a hit. So, yeah, so that's when it comes down to the sort of the, the architecture of how these things are, are built. I know that my challenge in my work has been to bring Linux out to the ordinary users or to... Uh, you know, explain the difference between Windows and Linux to tell people, you know, and I believe it's a real hands-on experience. So I know, Mohammed, that back in uh, March, you had uh, the first open day, first Linux day in Libya, and it was, uh, you guys, was the, um, was Fossil, right? So free, you know, was the uh, organization that you worked with to do that? Can you tell us yeah, a little bit more Fossil, about it? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, the organization uh, uh, Behind this day is called Fossil uh, Free Open Source Software in Libya. Uh, uh, this uh, group established in 2008. The first event uh, actually for us it was Linux Day. It was the first Linux Day, uh, the official Linux Day in Libya. Uh, Linux Day in Libya has become this idea has come from this group and uh, Libyan Spider, the company I'm working with, there was a sponsor for that day and without this company actually <laughs> that day will not come to show and uh, for Linux day we, we expect that uh, about 400 uh, people will participate in that day but we were surprised that it was at 1300 mm. come to that day and uh, yeah we, 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 uh, we distribute about uh, 900 uh, Ubuntu CD, desktop Ubuntu CD for for the user or for the uh, participated people. Uh, actually, in general, it was a very successful day for us. And uh, after that day, a lot of people become and asking for Linux. And uh, I'm still receiving uh, uh, a message from user. They're trying to get CD for Linux and they want to try Linux because they heard about Linux and they don't try it before. And they still they thought that Linux is using a terminal. They don't uh, Linux doesn't have interface. Some users they still have thinking like this. Linux have no interface. Is Linux Linux only for geek? Mm -hmm. But when we're running actually. One from the important point we, we concentrate on Linux Day is running Compass actually. Okay. We have a Compass <laughs> professional user with us, and they, yeah, impress the people with the 3D effects for desktop and how they did. It's crazy, like crazy desktop for user. They seeing the effects, visual effects, so they like it. Wow. So most of the new user actually then now they are installing Ubuntu and going directly to install. Uh, Combos and doing this action and blah blah stuff like this. Yeah. 
Ah, sounds like it was a great success there. I mean, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. South Africa as well. Um, you know, the, the government's also quite big into open source, at least officially. You know, they support a lot. In terms of the open source, that software freedom, that our government, yeah, um, organizes activities around that. Was the Libyan government involved in any way in in the show? Uh, uh, actually, uh, last year it was a successful year for Microsoft in Libya. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, they they have a contract. Yeah, they have a contract with the higher education. They have mm-hmm. a contract with uh, general education in Libya. They have a contract with the institute. They have a contract with the uh, general electric electricals uh, in Libya. Mm-hmm. They cover all most important sector in Libya, but. Uh, we can't convince user to or the government using uh, open source without a planning. It will be a disaster, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we have to build a community. We have to find a qualified people to to support open source in Libya. Then we we have the more uh, more power to convince the government or give them some proof that it's open source is the right choice and uh, Linux it will be the future operating system. Now. Uh, to be honest, we don't have this power. Okay. But you also said uh, last night, uh, Mohammed, that you were doing a lot of translation because there wasn't a lot of of uh, yeah, yeah. documentation in Arabic, right, for open source. So there's another kind of a hurdle to overcome as well, eh? Yeah, that's right. Actually, lately I was talking about you don't have uh, rich uh, resources for in general about Linux and open source in Arabic. We don't have a rich resources and this is re- really making me sad because <laughs> why? Why we all language they have resources and in Arabic we have late we have leakage. Okay we have resources but not that much resources and you can't make depends on these resources. And most of the uh, IT people don't following these Arabic uh, documentation. For example if I translate uh, uh, thousand pages from documentation in a professional way and give them to the IT people, professional IT people. Actually, they will not read it. They will go to find another documentation in English. Okay. That's, uh, yeah. But where are you aiming that documentation to? Is it to end users or to your system admins? Like, who are you trying to to bring over in general, to the, in general? Actually, in general, yeah. As I told you yesterday that I'm trying to translate the whole uh, document, official documentation for and community documentation for your pointer. Uh, I think it's about mm-hmm. thousand and five hundred pages. Sure. Wow. And this, this, this is not easy work to do by myself. I, I'm trying to find a volunteer to help me uh, to contribute this project. In, Actually, the volunteer or contributor will be from the whole. Anyone can speak um, or understand both language, Arabic and English, and also it should be involved in the IT field because translating the IT documentation requires some skills and some okay. understanding. Yeah. So let's put a poll out there then for anybody that can that can help Muhammad there with the translation exercise. Um, if they need to get hold of you, they can get hold of you at Sparta Network at Libya Sparta dot com, eh? Yeah, LibyanSparta.com. I can just send you an email from there. Okay, great stuff. Tell me, um, Muhammad, what's the? Do you guys have an active um, business software alliance organization in, in Libya at all? You know the anti 
No, the copyrights, you mean copyrights? Yeah, copy, yeah. The guy, looking for pirated copies and unlicensed versions of software and all of that. I mean, I know we got one year in South Africa. Is it? No. We got one year in South Africa, and uh, you know, like a few weeks ago, they released their latest report, and they said software piracy is up one percent. You know, from thirty-four to thirty-five percent. I mean, that means basically a third of all mm-hmm. installations in Africa are unlicensed. Um, yeah, of course, they they blamed this on all kinds of things like increasing access to international markets, like Pakistan, and uh, what else did they blame? And then they blamed. Oh yes, obviously, they always like to blame broadband internet access for increase in piracy. Um, yeah, and they didn't even mention the fact that we're in the world's worst economic crisis since 1929, you know? <laughs> and maybe people don't have money to pay, <laughs> yeah, for, <laughs> to pay for the software. Um, uh, to me, 1% increase is quite mild given given the circumstances. But, um, you know, one of the things I, I guess I'm trying to comment on, because often in, in, in like sort of third world countries like South Africa and that, um, there's high software piracy rates, and people, st- and that's why free and open source software is a hard time competing against it because essentially the software is also free. It's not open source, but it's also free in South Africa. Um, and uh, and that's why people don't really see that there's no economic need to, to potentially change from 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 this. Um, but what what's, I do find is strange though, is like you often find a lot of these Microsoft guys, you know, they'll, they'll come and they'll argue with you. As soon as you some like open source starts making inroads into an organization, they become very defensive and aggressive about it. You know, and they start, start to argue that you know, Microsoft is better because it's paid for. And then you say to them, well, have you paid for your software, your, your version of Visual Studio and XP? And they say, no. And so, well, if it's so great, why don't you pay for it? <laughs> you know, so there's yeah. like this, there's a strange relationship, yeah. Okay, I think that's a, that's a wrap for our quick episode on um, Linux security. We just really scraped the service there and dealt with Linux security at a, at a high level and touching on some tools and um, ideas that, you know, that we sort of, or discussions that we have about, about Linux security. I'd like to thank um, Darlene for joining us today, um, as well as Mohammed. Darlene? Yeah, well, I'm glad uh, that uh, I was able to share some ideas and some insights with our listeners because, uh, as we repeatedly said throughout the podcast, has Linux gained some popularity that uh, this will be something we will have to address. And again, I thank Mohammed for joining us as well and providing some uh, really good information. And I hope our listeners uh, enjoyed it and look forward to hearing from us again. Thank you, Dex. Thanks, Darlene. Thanks, everybody. Yes. Okay. Catch you next time. Uh, All right. Thank you for listening to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.